you know what? She's going to set off again, isn't she? Yeah, I can see her. She's at the bars. She's having a good old sniff. <laughs> right, let's do it quickly before she starts. This issue on Last Geek in Space, Doctor Who, Time Sharks, Spider-Man, Tui the Hamster and her really noisy reel of pain, and Ace writer and artist, Grant Perkins. Welcome to The Last Geek in Space, the podcast where we send comic book creators into the great unknown with nothing but magazines and artwork for company. My name's Alan Cowsell, I'm at Flight Control, and this issue's Geek and Art is Grant Perkins, ace writer and artist, best known for his own brilliant Drake Hinklebottom series. Hinklebottom. Hickenbottom? I, I pronounce yeah. everything wrong, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's your accent. Exactly. And also... Uh, <laughs> Has been the artist on Doctor Who strips for Panini and for um, WWE. And um, yep. you can get loads of his great artwork at grantperkins.com. Hi, Grant. Welcome to The Last Geek in Space. And um, as we send you into space, we're going to give you some comics and magazines to go with you into space. And um, just tell us about the first comic you ever remember buying or reading. And um, we'll let you take that with you. But what was it? Um, the first comic that I can remember buying from a shop um, was an issue of The Exploits of Spider-Man. Um, I think it might have been issue six or seven. Um, it, w- it was an issue that recapped um, Spidey's origin, could be because they were reprinting Amazing Fantasy 15. I don't know if you remember the, the way The Exploits of Spider-Man worked. They mm-hmm. kind of divided the book up where they reprinted classic um, Spider-Man stories. They reprinted the American Spider-Man stories that had been published about two and a half, three years ago. And I think at the end of it, actually, now I remember, um, they might have bookended it with some uh, Marvel UK stuff, Motormouth and Kill Power and uh, Death's Head 2, that that kind of stuff. That was the... um, the first comic I remember going to a shop to, I bought it in John Menzies, which kind of dates me. And um, I, think, I think I might have edited the very last issue of that. Yeah, I think you might be familiar with the Motormouth and Killpower characters. Oh, Killpower. Ah, yeah. Such, such an evil character. Went to hell and then got killed. Spoilers. It's... Yeah, I'm sure they'll bring him back, though. He's dead. When I'm, when I'm Lord Empire of the World, that'll be the first thing I do. For people I'd listening, one of Grant's favourite comic book characters of all time is Killpower, and um, I might have killed him, which is why every time I see Grant, he leaves a little sketch of Killpower saying, I'm alive. <laughs> That's Killpower's official voice, by the way. It sounds just like him. It was, it was uncanny, wasn't it? <laughs> no, they were the X-Men. <laughs> so um, we're going to let you take a single issue with you into space as well, and um, what would that be? The single issue that I would take with me for for two reasons, is Spectacular Spider-Man issue 200. For those of you... Yep, that was the... um, It was actually the first issue I got that had like a foil cover. I think for a while there in the the 90s, everything had to have like a foil cover. Now, the first one I saw... We used to have to do so many bloody foil and holographic covers on Marvel UK books. It was a nightmare. Sometimes they'd work, sometimes they wouldn't. 
And also sometimes we try and do a glow-in-the-dark cover and we suddenly realised we didn't have the budget to do it the way we wanted. You end up with a little bit of glow-in-dark around the edges and not the big full character in the middle of the cover. Things like that. Yeah, anyway, going remember, back to Spider-Man 200. Yeah, I, I remember it for, um, for two reasons. The first one is um, I remember exactly where I was the first time I read it. And that was down on Westbrook Beach. Um, we had a beach hut down there. And I'd spent most of my summers down there. I'd go down there with Nana and Grandad, who I was very close to at the time. And I can remember reading the issue for the first time, um, laying on the floor, you know, looking up. I had uh, Nana must have been inside making a cup of tea or something. But I remember my Grandad sat there in a deck chair looking down and it was absolutely blazing hot. And I knew it was hot because Grandad took his blazer off. He was um, always, always impeccably dressed. Even on the beach, he was sat there. Yes, he took the blazer off. Yes, he had shorts. But they, they were like, they weren't Hawaiian shorts. They were brown shorts. They were cut-off trouser shorts. And his white shirt still had his tie on. You know, he sat there with his hair kind of swept over and... Lucy, the little dog, just kind of sat down next to him. And it was just the whole kind of moment. And I remember reading that book and being there and that whole that whole moment. The other thing that I take from that comic is, if you remember the issue before, um, 199, it ended with Harry Osborne in full green goblin garb chasing Mary Jane Watson down the street with the line, Mary Jane, we have to talk. Which is the same line that the, the next issue opened up with. And that kind of led into Harry kidnapping Mary Jane and taking her to the bridge where Gwen Stacy died. And I, I won't spoil the rest of the book for you, but bad things happened in that book. And for years afterwards, that phrase, if ever I've heard anybody after the phrase, we have to talk. It's it's an omen. It's kind of like a foreboding sense. If anybody starts a conversation with that phrase, it's not going to end well. You know, if you're in a relationship with someone and your girlfriend hits you with that, it's game over. You know, that that's up there with, it's not you, it's me. You know, and that phrase just stuck with me as kind of like a, you hear this, you're done for. This just as a side, I'll edit this bit out. It's going really well, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to use it because two is making so much noise. <laughs> we might as well carry on now, and I, I can put it through filters that might delete the background noise. But it's so constant. Yeah, she's. A, I don't really want to get her out again. No, don't worry. Wait, it's too late. No, it's too late now. But maybe let's. We'll carry on. Well, I'll tell him it's aliens trying to get in the side of the spaceship. Right, I'll just move straight on smoothly um, to the next question. And we're back from our ad break. That kind of stuff. So, um, what's your favourite graphic novel? There really can only be one, just for the sheer impact it made on me, and that's Marvel's. Okay, the old Good choice. Um, yep, Alex Ross. Yeah. Um, because... That kind of encapsulates the whole kind of like 1960s, 70s 
that I was learning about so much with the Marvel Universe. That was before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Alex Rocky's art is absolutely flawless. And you looked at what he did for Marvels, and that was that they were real. Yeah. You know, what we had before that, we'd had Nicholas Hammond. We'd had that Doctor Strange movie. Uh, was something that was it Roger Corman did, which was a bit... Yeah. Oh, the Fantastic Four movie. But still better than the Fan Four Stick movie. <laughs> I haven't seen the newest Fantastic Four movie, don't, to be honest. Don't. It's got, it's in the first five minutes, it's got Ben Grimm's older brother beating him up when they're kids, and his older brother is shouting, it's clobbering time. And as soon as you hear that, you just feel like saying, fuck off, you do not know how to make a Fantastic Four film. You know? I've got to admit, the previous ones I really did like. They were they were better than people say, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the characterization on Ben Grimm was brilliant. Yeah. And bearing in mind that, yes, he was a bloke in a rubber suit. Yeah. It didn't look that bad. No. I don't look at that and go, oh, my God, those effects are awful. The I mean, only for me... Flaw... For me, the only flaw is in the FF, before Ben Grimm becomes a thing, he's supposed to be a really cool, big, good-looking jock hero. And, you know, what's name's a great actor, but you can't really call him a really big, good-looking, heroic type, can you? Beauty's in the eye of the beer holder, as they say. Yeah, true. But, I mean, even now, whenever I see, um, was it Ewan Griffiths? I can yeah. only see him as Reed Richards. Yeah. You know, I see him as Horatio Hornblower or whatever else he's in. And it's it's Reed Richards. It's all I can see. If they could get him back for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'd be well chuffed. You know, different human torch for obvious reasons. Invisible woman, you know. And Ben Grimm would be all CGI now anyway. But if they could get Reed back, I'd I'd be up for that. He was absolutely perfect, in my opinion. Well, since going back to Marvels, it's funny with that series, it's one of those comics that has such an impact that people are copying it for years afterwards, you know. You had all these suddenly socially realistic painted comics coming out, and none of them was, well, apart from the Mark Wade um, DC Comics thing. Yeah, because didn't Alex do a few other things, did like Kingdom Come? Yeah, well, Kingdom Come was... Uncle Sam as well. I think Kingdom Come was the only thing that was close to being as good as marbles i mean i was never a big dc fan so i didn't get as much out of kingdom come i mean i bought it for the artwork yeah i mean for me artistically i didn't know where i was at the time it was a i wasn't drawing the way i was drawing then and you looked at alex ross's stuff and it was just like wow yeah and um if you've got an issue of that um to hand or somewhere in your studio, the collected edition, right at the very back of it, I remember there were half a dozen pages of behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, there's a picture of him. He's made a thin head that he's made his mate wear for photos and he's doing all the lighting that. And there's a picture of Alex Ross, who at the time had long hair and a beard, and he's kind of sat there at his desk and jokingly, He's kind of got um, like a chain around his ankle, kind of say, look, here I am, chained to my desk. All I do is sit here and work. And I remember I joked to someone at university, 20 years from now, that's going to be me. Ah. Meaning, 20 years from now, 
I'm going to be really famous and I'm going to be working for Marvel. Flash forward, there's me, long hair, beard, virtually chained to my desk. So I was right, not in the way I wanted to be, <laughs> but I was right. Uh, you only have worked for Marvel as well, all mm. the Doctor Who stuff, so. Yeah, I think my uh, first, well, my only real Marvel, Marvel work was on a letters page. I think there's a, what, what did Exploits of Spider-Man become? Oh, I don't that know. Was, um, it changed names a couple of times. He got some idiot but... to um, edit it, didn't he? And I think he changed the name to Astonishing Spider-Man. Yeah, that was it. Though I heard the boss of Panini at the time wanted to call it the power of Spider-Man because the Power Rangers were big. No, the power of Spider-Man. Well, I mean, I remember that, like that editor used to send anyone like hologram sets and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, it kept getting held up by the Green Goblin, if I remember rightly. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember what I did to earn that? If, if you're not keeping up there, dear dear reader or dear listener, what are, we, what, are we, what are we calling everybody out there? Many, many years ago, a 15, maybe 16-year-old Grant was listening to Radio 1, and they'd... Um, they just put together the Amazing Spider-Man audio series, which featured um, Anita Dobson doing the voice of a pumpkin bum. And at a later date, her husband, Brian May, remixed some Queen music to produce a song by MC Spy D and Friends, no, which was released into the UK pop charts. He went into the studio and recorded a song for the... CD. He was there when we were recording it. Hey, man, Anita. I'm, I am officially jealous. Yeah. Big, big Queen fan. But it got released in the charts, and as expected, it totally bombed. Um, I can remember it went to number 34 in the charts, and I remember in my enthusiasm writing in a letter to the exploits of Spider-Man trying to encourage all of the fans to go out and buy this single, which I still claim was, was quite good, even though I remember a friend of mine mocking it because there was a line, he has the muscles of a snake. <laughs> it's no Ramones covering the original Spidey theme. Uh, it's supposed to be Spider-Man, not Snake Man, he said. But anyway, I wrote a letter in trying to encourage people to, to buy this single, which nobody did. But the uh, buffoon of an editor at the time um, decided that he was going to publish my letter. Um, what an idiot! <laughs> um, for my for my troubles, I think he sent me a an anniversary set of four Spider-Man holograms, which to this day I've still got in my wardrobe in my garage. I know because you freaked me out when I crashed at yours in Eva's house for the convention yeah. a few years ago and produced a. Little thank you, Les. I'd sent you twenty years ago when I was probably hungover or drunk. It's it's, it's one of them things because I mean I've told you this story before. When you're a kid and you're sixteen, you know, fifteen, sixteen, whatever I was, you know, and I was absolutely certain that I was going to be the next big thing, and my artwork was absolutely brilliant. That all I needed to do, if I could just get my artwork under the nose of the editor of Marvel UK, I'd be drawing Spider-Man and the X-Men within the week. And, you know, as it happened, that 
and that never turned out, which is probably a good thing, because looking back, he would have looked at my 16-year-old scribbles and, and laughed his ass off. Flash forward 20 years, and um, I'm now quite good friends with that particular editor, and on a couple of occasions, I found myself uh, asleep on his bedroom floor. Still won't give me a job, though. He's a bastard, what can I say? Yeah, northerners, what can you do about him? Anyway, going back to the spaceship. Back on the spaceship. While you were um, going through space, name a comic character or an imaginary character, fantasy character that you'd like to be stuck on the spaceship with. Could be George, could be Tui, <laughs> or it could be... Um, but they're not imaginary. They're, they're here. <laughs> well, you can take them with you if you want. Yeah. So who would you like to be stuck with and who wouldn't you like to be stuck with on a spaceship? Well, I've always kind of thought this is a bit of a, a trick question. It's kind of a leading question. Because if you say somebody like, um, well, I want to be on there with Mystique or any kind of shapeshifter because nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, fulfill any of your carnal desires, which is a bit of a... I just have to interject here. We've had at least three guests pick Mystique, and they've all done it for the conversation. Yeah. Or, or do you go down the the cop-out route when you go, well, if I'm trapped on a spaceship, I want Doctor Who, because then I can fly away in his TARDIS. Then I'm not trapped on a spaceship anymore, and that kind of negates the whole issue, doesn't it? You know, it's like yeah. the old joke, you know, if you could be trapped on a desert island with one item, what would it be? A bloody aeroplane. But I think, assuming that I'm going to be trapped on the spaceship and I'm not going to use this other person for any kind of carnal desires or to get out of it, I think because I'm fairly useless on my own, and I'm not going to drag my wife along for this one because she wouldn't thank me for that, I'd probably have to go down, I'd go down the Red Dwarf route. I take a slightly more competent Holly, somebody that I knew could run the ship. Because I know how to fly a spaceship. Yeah. You know, I want some kind of AI that can take care of the ship. You know, do a bit of the cleaning, cook me a nice meal, something like that. Something that's going to be practical. Yeah. You know, and it does, you know, the whole kind of, yeah, it, it, it lends into Red Dwarf bit. Big fan of that franchise, and I think I think something like that would be fun. Which Holly did you prefer? Now, I want to be careful of them because I actually know both of them. Um, I know both of them quite well. Grant's a mainstay on the convention scene, by the way, and um, mm. they're great as a guest because you get to meet all the stars, usually. I think on, on screen as Hollies, um, I think the Norman Lovett incarnation is going to be the favourite because he was just there from year dot. Yeah. But in person, I couldn't pick. They're both brilliant. Love them both to death. But I've only ever been dancing with one of them. Oh. I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of them <laughs> is definitely a better dancer than the other. Fair enough. And bizarrely enough, the amount of times I've seen both Norman and Hattie, I've never seen them both at the same Comic-Con. Generally, they... They don't purposefully avoid each other, but the people that are booking events generally only book one or the other. So they don't very often see each other, which is a shame. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, back to the question, something like that, some kind of computer AI, because 
Yeah, I think if he's meeting somebody else on the ship, I'd get pretty sick of him. At least with an AI, I could turn him off. Yeah, that's fair enough. But was it Jean-Paul Sartre that said, hell is being trapped in a room with your mates? Yeah. Yeah, you can't push your mate out the airlock, but you could turn a computer off. Now, Hannah, who wouldn't you like to be stuck on a spaceship with? Any other bugger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll rephrase that. What supervillain of... <laughs> Um, really, anyone messy. I'm not a big fan of mess. But you've been by my flat. Yeah, and I've been married to Eva, and you've seen what she's like. Yeah. Any Anyone messy and uncouth. So, you know, probably somebody just, like, um, like the blob. So I've just built a spaceship. I'm just crossing your name off the um, passenger list. <laughs> well, as we're getting your stuff together for the spaceship, you're, we're going to give you one page of original artwork by anyone, any artist from... Anywhere, anytime, any comic. And uh, who's cool. that going to be? Well, it's going to be a going to be an odd one. It's getting back to the story I was telling earlier about being able to pick up my comics from the this little um, not comic shop, this little news agent down in Margate Harbour. Yeah. Um, for about two years, consistently they were getting issues of The Incredible Hulk in. From about issue 400, the whole Parthenon saga. Mm. You know, back when the Hulk was a genius and he still looked like Arnie. One of the best um, eras. The yeah, Peter abs- David era. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Really loved it. And as that era came to an end, I think issue 424 had come out. The next issue, um, it was like, you won't believe what's going to happen in the next issue. Whatever you do, true believer, don't flip to the last page, which is something I always used to do, is pick up my coat, flick through, and go, oh, it's such good, and read it. Don't flip to the last page. And it showed you a picture of what the cover was going to be. And it was, um, I think it was Liam Sharp. I've got that right. Liam took I over think- after, near the end. You had, uh, at the end of the professor's saga, you know, the old, uh, Liam took over for about a year or two, I think. Yeah. And the next issue, 425, it was advertised as kind of the the reverse image. Right? And you've all seen the image of Banner getting stressed out and bigger and bigger and pow, there's the Hulk. And the next issue, the blurb, you could see the Hulk and he was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but you couldn't see what he was going to turn into. And it would be revealed later on that he was going to be Banner, that was the Hulk's mind. And I remember being so excited about this issue coming out. And then the next month, that shop just stopped getting issues of the Hopkin. The horror. So it was years, absolutely years before. And in fact, I don't even know if I've ever got my hands on that issue. In fact, I don't even think I've read it at all. It's you know, one of the... Liam. Have you seen the cover? It's one of Liam's best covers. Yeah. I've read issues beyond that and kind of had to piece together what I imagine must have happened in that issue. But it was kind of a month looking at the preview for this magazine going, I want to buy this, I want to buy this, I want to buy this. And then it never being there, they just, they just stopped getting it. So... I'd probably like that cover 
just because I've been wanting it for the last you know 20 years yeah. just to find out I mean I know I'm supposed to say I like Amazing Fantasy 15 or Fantastic Four issue one because it's such an amazing amazing cover but I, I just want that so I can kind of piece it together in my mind yeah just for it's a great bit of Liam artwork yeah I mean it, it's the first thing that came to mind yeah. when you said it was like that, that was the first cover so yeah I'll go for my gut I could say something old and classic, so when I land my spaceship, I'll be a millionaire. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to actually see it. Yeah, that'd be, I'll ask Liam, and next time he's over, and you never know. Yeah, I reckon I can take him in a fight. He's not that big. <laughs> actually, I've met him once, very, very briefly. We've got a selfie together somewhere. He hates me saying this, but I met him when he was first starting out and he just wanted to, his ambitions in life were to be famous, a famous comic book artist, look like Conan the Barbarian and singing heavy metal bands. And he's done all that. So, um, would that be your cover or your artwork or both? I mean, that would definitely be, definitely be the cover. I mean, artwork wise, it'd have to be absolutely anything by Chris Picello, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I mean, especially the, the early stuff that you did with Generation X. Yeah. That's... In fact, in fact, I'll go one better than that. Um, because I, I was asking around on Twitter for this a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was a page that Chris did in a very early episode, episode um, issue of Generation X. And it, I, I can't tell you the issue. I was trying to find out on Twitter, but on the inside front cover of this particular Generation X issue, there was a pinup of all the Generation X characters. And I believe that Mondo, character that I really liked, he was like a big, heavy Samoan guy. Yeah. He was riding a really undersized tricycle, like, like a gorilla on a little bike. And all the other cast members of the comic kind of piled up on top of him. And in very tiny letters, all the way around the outside of the characters, it said something along the lines of, this picture here has absolutely nothing to do with the story. <laughs> it's just something that I wanted to draw because I felt like it, signed Chris Pacello. Yeah. And I thought, absolutely brilliant. Because at the time, that page was used for you know, reprinting the character bios if you were a new reader and you'd never read the book before. And I, mean, I loved Chris's artwork. I loved the idea that this was kind of taken completely out of continuity of the book, out of context. And it was just, just the kids having fun. So if I could find out exactly what page that was, I would have that page. Okay. We can find out and give it you as you go on the spaceship. We have that technology. Yeah. Well, I've got Holly running the ship, so I'm sure there's some kind of Wikipedia or something running there I exactly. can check in with. We're going to give you a geek-related object to take with you. Okay, well, there's only really one geek-related object that I should choose, and that's Eva. Because <laughs> to be honest, without her, I'm pretty much rubbish. We'll let you have another human while you're married. <laughs> and I know Eva, so... I'd be in trouble if I let you blast off into space without her. Yeah, I don't think she'd be too happy being stranded on a spaceship with an idiot, an idiot computer, a couple of pages of comic books, and, oh, really, that's about it. 
Oh, I'd let her take a flamingo. She'll be happy with a flamingo. Yeah, that'd be some good photos then. Flow in space. How about one song to take with you? Ah, one song, Starship. Yeah? Nothing's going to stop us now. Um, it was a song that it, it stuck out to me when I was a kid, and I don't know why. I wasn't into that type of music. I wasn't familiar with the the band. I, I think I'd seen the movie Mannequin, but there was something about that song that made me think, I bloody love this song. And then years later, when I was working at Dreamland Cinema, the, um, the manager used to come in, make us listen to his um, movie soundtracks on cassette. And that song was on there again. And it just kept coming back and coming back wherever I went. And then it turned out to be the, the song that Eva and I got married to. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know whether I suggested it or she suggested it, um, but it, w- it was something we agreed on. The whole sentiment being that as we'd had the wedding, you sign the books and you kind of, you walk out of the, the church together. And it was that sentiment of nothing is going to stop us now. And that's, that, that's our song. So it's it. And it is so catchy. It is in everyone's head now who's listening to this. Oh, I hope so. Everybody sing along. And if ever you see us at conventions, feel free to sing it to Eva. How about one book to take with you? Uh, one book. What? I haven't written that down on my cheat sheet. I've left that blank. Um, I want to cheat and say I would like some kind of electronic book where I could download all of the comics in the world. <laughs> and, and Legally, of course. And um, and read them up in space. Um, but in terms of, do you know what? And this is probably going to be a controversial one, but I've never read the Bible. I'm not a religious man by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I, I, it's on my I'll read it one day list. And if I'm floating aimlessly through space and I've only got my death to contemplate, I think I could give the Bible a look. I, I can't say anything more than that. I don't want to offend anyone who is or isn't religious. I just say it's something I've never read and may get around to reading one day. The ending's but, great, the um, funky book of <laughs> Revelations. It's, um, that's my religious teacher for the Bible when I was just finished what, um, reading the first Omen book, <laughs> Damien Omen 2, and that's got loads of quotes from the book of Revelation in it. I think I really pleased my religious teacher and just said to this priest, can I have the Bible? I want to read it, sir. And it was nothing to do with my son's conversion or anything, which didn't exist at all. I just wanted to see all the funky stuff about the whole Babylon and post-apocalypse stuff that goes on there. That's all an allegory against the Roman Empire. That's an aside. Getting back to Red Dwarf again, um, I don't know if you remember, there's a, a really early episode where they've just got the a news report beamed in and the news report is saying something along the lines of, you know, and in other news, um, researchers have found what they believe to be the first page of the Bible. It is currently being carbon dated. Um, if legitimate, it is believed to re- believed to read to my darling candy, all characters portrayed in this book are fictitious. 
any similarity <laughs> to anyone living or dead is merely coincidental. But yeah, I think it's if I had nothing else to do, I'd I'd give it a read to see what the see what it's all about. Yeah, but I I I wouldn't expect it to change me in any way. But as far as I'm concerned, in terms of most religion, just be nice to people. Yeah. Carry a pen, don't be a turd. Yeah, don't be a wanker. Mm. See, I was trying to use nice words. As Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other. But talking about films, um, we're going to give you one movie to take with you into space. I've always said, um, and this is the hill I will die on, that my all-time favourite movie is Grease 2. So I've just spat my water up. <laughs> um, I love it. Absolutely love it. But um, as I've never seen it, it's got to be said. I've never actually watched Grease 2. It's, it's an awful movie, but I, I love it. It's one of them, it's, it's the guilty pleasure bit. I think it was the first film that had Michelle Pfeiffer in it and she sings. Yeah. Well, I can't um, really talk because I love Streets of Fire and that was um, William Defoe's first movie. Very similar sort of humble like. beginnings for Catwoman and the Green Goblin there. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely loved it. I haven't seen it in a while. I really should watch it again. It's now it on, I think it's on Netflix at the moment, actually. No, I, I've like I, no. I periodically go back. There's a there's a small handful of movies that you know, they're the upper echelon for me. Like Grease Two is up there, the original Ninja Turtles movie. It's flawed, but it's it's one of the best. It's probably the best incarnation of the turtles yeah. for me. You know, it, it captures the essence of family and being four brothers more than it does high R kung fu ninja kicking people. Yeah. You know, maybe Teen Wolf as well, the Michael J. Fox version. Loved it. And of course, chasing Amy. Really? There you go. There, oh, okay. there, there's one one movie in four parts. Yeah. Love Chase. Love Chase and Amy. I prefer some of his earlier films. More Rats was still my favourite um, Kevin Smith film. Oh, I mean, I don't think he's, he did a bad one. That whole early viewer skew universe was yeah. brilliant. But Chase and Amy worked for me just because... Okay, and spoilers, if you haven't seen it, he doesn't get the girl. Yeah. yeah. You know, you had that whole, you know, meeting each other, falling in love, what's a Nubian, you know. But for him to not get the girl was fantastic. And the fact that if you watch later movies, I think Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and then the, the recent reboot, which watched a few days ago, actually, the characters are kind of reintroduced and you're yeah. kind of given an update. And I think I'd, I'd watched Chasing Amy so many times at university that I almost felt that I knew these people and these were my friends. Yeah, I wasn't that's what watching, happens with, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't watching a movie again for the first time. I was it's like flicking through a photo album and reliving it. So to see those characters reappearing later Kevin Smith films, it's kind of like getting a phone call from your mate that you haven't spoken to for yeah. a couple of weeks. Going, oh, hey, hey, how you doing? Not that, not that you can actually talk to people on TV. That's a bit weird. But, yeah, I kind of, you have that connection with the characters. Yeah. 
But yeah, that's why one movie in four parts. I don't know why I keep doing a hand gesture. You can't. You can't see no, now, as you're travelling through space, your ship's going to hit a wormhole that pushes you through space and time and God knows where else and gives you the ability, you and Eva, this is you on the ship together, to go and live anywhere you want to in space, time, the universe, real or imaginary. Where would you go? A week last Tuesday. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think... Judging by what I've already said, you've probably got some kind of idea. I think that kind of early, safe Marvel universe, I would really like to visit that. Just when it was when it was starting out, you know, when like the Fantastic Four were living in the Baxter building, you know, when Peter Parker was still with his aunt, when Uncle Ben was still warm, that kind of era. Before you had to but, worry about Galactus destroying the world and eating you. Yeah, that just just there. But I'd also kind of like to have some kind of memory of what would happen so I can kind of not know that a certain character is going to die or what path they're going to take, but kind of, or, or rather I would know, but I wouldn't warn them, but I can just kind of appreciate the story from that point. Yeah. But I think somewhere between the 60s, and the 90s. I don't think I'd want to hang around past the 90s because that's when you had characters like Venom and Carnage introduced and the world got darker and everything was grim and gritty and I think people, people had really small feet and wore a billion pouches. If you lived in the real-life Marvel Universe and the DC one, you'd spend half your life in fear and the other half looking up for foiling, falling masonry and aliens zapping you to death and stuff. I'd be terrified constantly. Yeah, but it seemed more... Yes, it was. It would have been scary if you were there, but it was a little bit more wholesome, you know? Yes, you could look up and see the Green Goblin fly by and it would be scary, but your new Spider-Man was there to save yeah. you. Yeah. You know, you'd be scared of the thing because look at the way he looks, look at the way he talks, but you know he's a good guy. And you know that at the end of the day, you're going to go home, You've had your adventure, you've got your milk and cookies, Stan and Jack would tuck you up in bed. But when, as I say, the Venoms and the Carnages and the Grim and Gritty era, and it's it's less of a fantasy nowadays. You know, it, it's yeah. too real. People flying and shooting lasers, that, that's fantastic. But people cutting people open and bullets flying everywhere, that's... I'll look out the window. Yeah. Remind yeah, me that... not to come on your house again, then. <laughs> the cat will have your leg off. Just going back to your career so far, what do you reckon is your highlight? Um, the things that I'm proud of professionally, uh, it, it, it's threefold, really. I mean, you touched on them before, but the um, the WWE and the Doctor Who stuff, I mean, I've been a fan of wrestling since 91, since Marty Jannetty died through the barbershop window. I'm sure that's something your wrestling fans will get. And to be involved in that, that's been absolutely huge for me because wrestling is real-life comic books. You know, I'm sure there's half a dozen people going, it's pantomime, it's fake, it's men in pants jumping around. It's real life comic books. Um, they they tell the storylines that you can only read about. 
you know, it's got your, your East End of drama, but the guys are, and the girls are built like anything. So it looks like a comic book. It feels like a comic book. It, it's a Marvel movie every week. Yeah. You know, and to be involved with that in any way, it's been absolutely brilliant. To be able to look at the wrestlers one week on TV and see, you know, one of them's got new pants or a new haircut or whatever, and then think, oh, I've got to use that in my book this week. I, I'm part of that now. You know, I, w- I was part of that for just over a year. You know, so that was a real, you know, box tick for me. And the um, conversely, the Doctor Who stuff as well. Um, I did the Strax and the Time Shark, which is um, it's actually quite funny how I um, I got involved in that because um, Tim um, was my editor for that, and um, we'd spoken at a convention about doing some doing some work together for Doctor Who, and he said, "Come up with a pitch." My first idea for like a Doctor Who comic was I don't know if you remember the the TV show The Muppet Babies. Yeah, I had this idea that all of the doctors were going to be, you know, like about that age, like six, seven months old. All of them, like a young Sylvester McCoy, a young Colin Baker, and they'd all be like Doctor Who babies, all living together, and they'd all go on an adventure. And I pitched this thing, and I submitted it to Tim, who then submitted it to the BBC. We said we like it, but we've got somebody else working on something similar. Okay, I, I want to be involved in this Doctor yeah. Who gimmick, so I'm going to give it another go. Okay, let's age them up a little bit. Let's do a comic where the first Doctor William Hartnell's at university, and maybe he's about 15, 16, he's a teenager, and you know, the master's there, and it's going to be like a kind of like an Archie comics book, like a teen soap opera thing. And so I did all the character designs and the sketches. and all their classmates would be like, there'd be a young Sontaran or a young Dalek and they'd all be at school together. Tim liked it, sent it off to the BBC. We love it. I'm sorry, but there's somebody else working on something similar at the time. I thought, right, okay, that's twice now. The writing's on the wall. I'm getting the message. They're being polite, but they, they don't want me. And I was at MCM Comic Con at the time. I thought, well, I'm just going to call their bluff. Now, I, I sat there at the convention. I said, right, well, I'm going to draw a Sontaran. So I, I, I draw them on for the last pitch. So I'm draw a Sontaran. I'm going to stick them on a flying shark. I'm going to put a silly hat on the shark. I walked over to the other side of the uh, convention. I gave that to Tim, knowing full well, you know, there is nobody in the world that is working on that idea. It was so <laughs> silly. Nobody is going to be doing that. And when they reply, we like it, but somebody else is working. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll know what's up. We love it. Brilliant. You know, we want you to submit a comic. And it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> so that's, that, that, that's the origins of Strax and the Time Sharp. That was me, me calling their bluff and uh, winning and losing at the same time. But, um, but no, the Strax and the Time Sharp was... That was my favourite to write because um, I got to know Dan Starkey, who who plays Strax quite well. So I met him at a convention a few times and kind of got into character, as it were, so I could go home and be Strax and kind of like act it out around the living room before I'd 
put it down there. And because I'd come up with this concept of a time shark, which is hysterical in its own, it meant that I could go, like the doctor, I could go yeah. anywhere each week, you know, Victoria, London, I could go into space, I could do whatever I wanted. And that opened up so many possibilities. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and I didn't really have any kind of reins, unlike the WWE that would occasionally step in and go, you can't use this character or we don't think this particular wrestler might yeah. say this particular thing. And on the very odd occasion, this particular wrestler doesn't like the way you've drawn them. Can you make them more muscly? That did happen. It's only from the neck up. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't have that with Doctor Who. There was no kind of... It was free reign. And it was absolutely great fun. And oh, really? given the chance, I would love to return to it because the Doctor Who fandom is so big and it is so loving. I, mean, I, I worked for them five, six years ago now, I, I forget. It was, it was about the time that Capaldi came in that, the, um, that I was working on that. But they're such a warm, loving fandom that even now... If something happens on Doctor Who, I will get people uh, message me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and go, what do you think about so-and-so turning up? Who do you think the next Doctor's going to be? You know, it's it's a family that, that won't let you go, and that's brilliant. Yeah. So if I, if I had the choice to return anywhere, I would love to return there, you know. I don't think Doctor Who Adventures is being published at the moment. Um, obviously, with Doctor Who not being on TV at the moment as well. But I, I'd love to see it come back. You know, if I could return to the Doctor Who franchise in yeah. any way, I'd love to. Obviously, my heart's with Strax. Yeah. Um, but that character hasn't been on TV for six, seven years now. I think he last appeared in the first season of Peter Capaldi. So he had three seasons. Jody had two. That's at least five years. Yeah. So your average ten-year-old boy isn't going to know who Strax is. Mm. What would you miss about Earth? Targets. Um, I I don't know if I if I'm floating up there in space on my spaceship. I've got my computer that's going to take care of most things for me. Yeah. I. I've got my book that's going to download all my comics and I've got my wife and her flamingo and we're dancing to the song we got married to. I think, I think we're pretty much set. I, I, I don't really know. Either probably want someone else to talk to because you know, <laughs> she'll get bored of me. But I'm a simple man. I'll be quite happy there. My wife and infinity. It's, I'm, I'm good. Absolutely good. You know, that would be a lovely place to end the podcast, but we have one more question. Oh, the, 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 oh. I was going to say what it was there, but I'm not going to steal your thunder. No, so that's a new one called uh, new. Get, get My Goats. And it's you get the chance to let off a bit of steam and tell us something that you really hate that winds you up. Viruses and world poverty and, you know, race riots and everything else, horrid going on in the world aside. Well, there's absolutely a billion things that really pee me off. But I, I don't want to put across that I'm a bit of a moaner. But, 
you know, simple things, running out of coffee, not a big fan of that. People being messy, not a fan of that. Kids not putting stuff away in my house. <laughs> I've, I've learned that. I mean, you've, you've not shared a place with, with kids for a while, or, or if ever, I don't, I don't actually know that. But like, like Vinny, a teenage boy who will never put anything back where he found it, Unless it's an empty box of food. You know, you go to the cupboard, you know, take out the Rice Krispies, it's empty. If it was full, it would be on the side, but an empty one would go back in the cupboard. We could have a whole podcast of things that Grant doesn't like, because there are lots of things that Grant doesn't like, but Grant doesn't want to be that person. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to end it. Grant Perkins, thanks for being on The Last Geek in Space. You've been listening to The Last Geek in Space. Thanks to Grant Perkins for his time and Paul Morris and Vegetables at Last for the music. Last Geek in Space is a Bullpen Productions creation. Check out the website at bullpenproductions.co.uk and my own website at alancouncil.com and buy my books. I'm going to step off the land now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The Grant Perkins, not just any Grant Perkins. The Grant exactly. Perkins. There's only one Grant Perkins. Uh, thank God for that.